Hello there, and welcome to the Joyfully Black Podcast, where we have candid conversations with Black women on nourishing their mental well-being while balancing career, family life, and community care. I'm your host, Joy Dixon, a public health professional turned woman in tech and lover of seeing people thrive in their zone of genius. Today's guest is filmmaker and lifelong storyteller, Santana Coleman. She's the co-producer and impact campaign advisor of the Emmy award-winning documentary, When Claude Got Shot. Along with a creative partner, Santana is the co-creator of a comedy television series, Black Girl Training. And she's currently in pre-production of a short film called The Last Week, where she will serve as writer, director, and producer in her directorial debut. This candid interview was so refreshing. So many times you hear about the creative process, the people behind it, but you don't always hear about the times when there was uncertainty, the times when you're trying to figure out what to do and building community and making time for self-care and being honest about certain limitations and what you can do to get to the next level in a way that is sustainable for you. At any rate, um, if you're a creative, no creative, uh, or just appreciate people being candid about their lives, their journeys, then this is definitely an interview you want to check out today. Without further ado, will you speak to Santana? <clears throat> Santana, you are fresh off of a uh, win, so that must be very exciting. How are you feeling about it? Uh, I'm still very excited about it. I think that I'm just... Um... I'm trying to figure out how much I can really put that Emmy to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was told at the uh, gala right after the Emmys uh, that my life was about to change and that any job I want, I could have and all this stuff. And it was, you know, a lot of stuff people said that kind of made me feel like, hmm, let, we'll see. We'll see how much things change now that this has happened. And so now I'm in the process of kind of transitioning career or jobs, I should say. And um, it has been pretty hard in these streets to find a remote position for things that I actually want to do that's going to make me some good money, that's going to kind of like, you know, naturally transition me to the next step. So it's been hard to kind of align everything. And it just kind of feels like I'm starting to feel like I have to either move from Milwaukee or um, start learning a new trait or skill or just, I don't know, it's like something else. Yeah. no, that, that, that is so, that is so real, uh, especially when you're in a maybe cultural or creative space that's not necessarily known for being, you know, a filmmaking mecca, even though there's, of course, many talented people, I'm sure, in Milwaukee and other um, areas like that, because, I mean, most people are like um, LA, New York, or now New South with Atlanta, um, so that's real. Um, is there a huge creative community that you connect with in Milwaukee or do you usually sort of seek that community in other parts of the U.S. or abroad? Yeah, so that's a good question. <laughs> it's kind of sort of both. Like, I think we do have a filmmaking community here, right? That's how we were able to make this this whole film when Claw got shot. But I think it's two parts. It's twofold. On one hand, it's a small filmmaking community. So everyone supports each other. People are sometimes willing to work for free or cheap. People are willing to like help each other, teach each other, uplift each other. Uh, But then there's also like a whole part where it's kind of very cliquish and it's not cliquish on purpose. It's just when you find the people you like to work with, you work with well, et cetera, you stick to them. And so in some ways, I know people who I 
who was willing to help me, willing to work for free, willing to, you know what I mean? Like different things like that. But um, I also need to like expand my horizons. And so the people who are more in clicks, I don't know them very much. So like, it's, it's kind of like this weird intersection between trying to network with more people and get more of a base of, of people to work with, but then also trying to stick to what you know a little bit. Um, and honestly, I think the other part is that, you know, the people that I know um, range from like, in the, in the filmmaking industry is so weird. Like every position is different and every career is different. And like, you know, so I might know people who do the exact same thing as me, which usually means that I can't work with them as often because we're kind of doing the same thing but on two different lanes you might be producing your own movie I'm producing my own movie so you wouldn't necessarily hire me for a position so that you know what I mean so it means we're connected but I can't lean on you if I need a position um or there's people who are doing totally different things than me which again means that I can't lean on you for a position because that's not really my lane um or there are people who I'm kind of helping pull up and I'm helping teach. So I can't lean on you for a position because I'm helping you. Or there are people who are, again, it's just, it's just such a weird realm. So most of the people that I'm really learning from with the things I want to do are located in other areas. Um, and that's just because I am a person who does documentary and narrative projects. So narrative wise, like those people are more so out of town. Documentary wise, we have some people here, but it's all very independent documentary where, you know, it's just small crews and not a ton of money, not a ton of time. Like these are all very temporary projects. So I say all that to say, yes, we have a filmmaking community, but just like any filmmaking community, it's hard to navigate through. Yeah. And what you're like speaking to, I think so many women can relate to is like finding your tribe. Uh, of yeah. people, uh, sort of almost like your tribe, that's your crew who you can lean on. And, and also we have people that are at different parts, like people who we're mentoring and the folks that we're also looking to yes. be mentored by, right? And also continue to learn from. And um, so it sounds like you're 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 right there in and also like even getting your own board of directors, so to speak. Yeah. Navigating <laughs> through um, you know, through your career, your filmmaking career. And you mentioned, you know, like when Claw got shot is a is a really poignant documentary. But you also do narrative work on the mm-hmm. on the comedy side. Yeah. So, uh, which sometimes you see people just stay in one particular lane when they when they're thinking about what kind of stories they want to tell. Yeah. Um, tell us. Tell really, I'd love to know more about you know you veering into both of those lanes and 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 how and how you go down those paths. Um, well, I will say what you just said also sparked another Emmy thought for me. The same guy who told me my life is about to change also asked me, you know, what do you want to do next? And I said, well, I do documentary and I do narrative. So I'm actually looking to get more into narrative next because I have some narrative projects that I'm working on and I'm ready to like finally get those done with. And he told me uh, (laughs) that I can't do both. He said, I don't know many people who do both successfully. Or he kind of said, like, you kind of have to pick or choose. And that in itself made me want to prove him wrong. Um, Immediately, I was like, no, I'm still going to do both. And I'm still going to be successful at both. But I will say that um, the read the the way this all came about is just very by chance. I always wanted to do narrative. Well, I should stop saying narrative. Somebody got on me the other day about that. They were like, documentary is narrative too. So scripted. I'll say scripted versus non-scripted, right? So I always wanted to do scripted content. I always wanted to like direct scripted movies. I wanted to direct, write, whatever I could do for scripted movies. 
Um, and then as I began my filmmaking career, we don't really have that in Milwaukee, not on a level of um, professionalism and budget, like totally amazing wise. We don't really have that here. So once I started my filmmaking career, uh, I kind of accidentally stumbled into documentary in college. I accidentally created a documentary in college. I didn't realize it was a documentary. I just wanted to create something. And I did. And then from there, I was introduced to Brad um, Lichtenstein, who's the director of When Claw Got Shot. And he it was a direct it was a documentary production company at the time. Now they now they kind of sort of branch out and do other things, too. Um, but at the time, it was kind of strictly documentary. And so I needed an internship right after school and stumbled across that, did that. And then that was like the pitfall into documentary world. And that's not a bad thing because I love it. Um, it definitely showed me like, wow, this is a whole nother world in film that I didn't really know about. Um, and so I'm really enjoying documentary. I really love documentary. Most of my success or all of most of my success and most of my contacts come from documentary. Um, mm. So when it's time for a job, I'm mostly looking in documentary because that's kind of where I'm going to be able to find. That's where I have the most skill right now. Mm-hmm. But narrative is kind of like my my baby's project. Yeah. You know, like those are the ones I'm working on by myself or like with a smaller team. And I'm kind of taking my time. All of my projects narrative wise have taken years to either develop or come to fruition just because, you know, these are the side projects that I have to really motivate myself uh, with. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. But I really think for 2023, my biggest goal is to get out my narrative projects and um, while also kind of gearing up for the documentary stuff. So, yeah. No, that's that's exciting. And I guess when you were talking, I was thinking about our good sis Issa Rae and like yeah. all the she spent, you know, funding the our black girl you know yeah. um a web series you know yeah. which was just and I, I was you know I'm a huge awkward black girl I mean every Friday me I was too. like is this, is this coming out yeah <laughs> you know? me too yeah so um speaking of your scripted series um I know that right now you have one that one that's out is a is a comedy uh-huh. uh black I want to make sure I'm saying it right. A black girl training. Uh-huh. And so it is inspired by true events. Uh-huh. Can you tell me more about, tell us more about black girl training and, you know, your process in developing that and, mm-hmm. and, and how it's going? Yeah. Yeah. So black girl training isn't out yet, but soon that's one of the ones that's been taking years. So black girl training came about, um, Actually, thank you, Documentary, again, because it came about through one of our funders for When Claw Got Shot. Uh, I was doing some producing work for When Claw Got Shot with one of our funders and they, uh, Black Public Media, and they decided to create a fellowship. Uh, This was all the way in 2018. Um, And so they were like, we're creating this fellowship and we're looking for some fellows and we think you would actually be a really good fit. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So they like offered me the fellowship without me even having to apply. They were like, we want you to bring your own project though, not when Claw got shot. At the time, I didn't correlate, which I should have, that my own project was supposed to be a documentary project because (laughs) they are a documentary, like, you know, funder and and, and serving organization. So I just was like, okay, what do I want to do? I spent a few weeks thinking about what I want to do. And I came up with a narrative. I was, I already knew I wanted to do a narrative project when they said, you got to have your own project. Cause I didn't really, I still wasn't really documentary yet. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so I basically, I was working with a young lady named Emily Keister at 371, which is the company who produced When Claw Got Shot. And me and her hadn't had a ton of chance to connect. We worked together, but on different projects, she did a little bit of stuff on When Claw Got Shot. And um, I just knew that we were both Black women at the same company who were kind of different. And so I autom- I didn't automatically connect with her because we just weren't each other's cup of tea initially. Like we liked each other, but just not someone I would hang out with outside of work is how yeah. I was feeling. And so after being able to see one of her projects that she created, one of her like senior projects, it was actually really good. I was like, okay, let me give her a little more props than I've been giving her. She's a really good filmmaker. And from there, I automatically asked her to, you know, produce the film. I was like, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but would you like to produce it? And she was like, yeah. From there, we hired on a writer. Still didn't know what it was going to be yet, but we were like, let's do it. This was another Black woman who I had been wanting to work with, um, who was already in my network. And so us three started to talk and just get to know each other and try to brainstorm what this could be like. And while talking and getting to know each other, we learned that Emily was actually a transracial adoptee. She was adopted by a white family and she was raised in like rural farm town, Wisconsin. And uh, she had just moved to Milwaukee a few years prior where that was kind of her first time really being immersed in black culture. Um, And we were just like stunned. I don't think I ever really like put thought into what a transracial adoptee was or that that was even a thing. Like I was so stuck in my world. I didn't even realize what that was. So when she told us that we were like, so you never seen Friday, you never like had dressing, you never played double dutch, you never like, it was so many things we were like listing, like you never did these things or had these things. Um, And she was like, no. And so we were like, we have so much to teach you. First of all, how about we like, this is what, can we do this as the show? Like, how about we do a show that's based on a woman like Emily who was a transracial adoptee raised in rural Wisconsin. She comes to college. She meets two roommates who was kind of loosely based on me and our writer, who's going to like teach her how to be black in preparation for her to meet her family. Um, And so we were like, cool. Okay. Yeah. We came up with the idea. Um, I don't think Emily was fully ready to tell her story yet, but I kind of, I kind of was like, this is amazing. Let's do it. And she agreed. Um, but I don't think she knew the journey we were going to go on after that. Mm-hmm. And so to make a very long story short, we took a few years to uh, create the short film, which was more so based around this fictional character meeting her biological family. Um, and that's why she was learning how to be Black. But um, then we won, a comp- we won a competition and we won some grants and things started really picking up and like catching a lot of traction in, in Milwaukee. Um, and then that kind of led us to bringing on some other executive producers who encouraged us to make it a TV show instead of a movie because there's so much to unpack. Um, we did that. We started a writer's room. We wrote for through the pandemic for a few years. And now we're at the point where the TV show is based on her learning how to be Black um, in general. And then she's going to meet her parents in like a few seasons in. Um, and we just really transformed the series to dive way deeper into what it means to be Black, way deeper into transracial adoptees, adoption in general, um, just tons of stuff, race, class, you know, everything, college life, coming of age, uh, womanhood, things like that. And now we are trying to sell the series to a network or a streaming platform. So that's where we're at now. We have it out to someone now, but we're kind of waiting to hear back and we have a few other leads and stuff like that. So hopefully the goal is to sell that this year and let that company like make it, you know, so. Yeah, that's that's very exciting. And, you yeah. know, like with the 
as you know, like the black experience, the black experience is not is not a monolith, but I can only, you know, imagine from someone with that particular identity, because I mean, I, I mean, I am black American, both my parents are black. And even when I went to college, there are certain things I just hadn't been exposed to or just didn't know, like, I guess my my car may get national. I mean, I feel another place fades. I learn once or twice, and now I'm not. Am I too old to learn? <laughs> no, you're not. I learn every every holiday. I gotta relearn it because I I don't even like spades. I just feel like it's not fun. But I have to relearn it every time because I just don't remember. So you're fine. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> No, that's such a cool concept. Um, and it sounds like, and it sounds like, you know, from the scripted project, because I guess what's coming up for me is that like you you of course have your passion for scripted, but also like this documentarian non-scripted thing keeps coming up because I definitely yeah. can see both both happening. Yeah, you know, because I see yeah. more, even more conversations happening online about folks who are transracially adopted yep. their experiences, both positive and, and, and negative. And also, I know a lot of documentaries are not necessarily, people don't think of like fun when they think of documentaries. Yeah. It can be so hilarious, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Back watching like, I don't know, Love Jones or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then get like, what was your take? What did you get from that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I'll say now, because I did say Emily at the time, I don't know if she was ready to really put her story out there like that. She was a new filmmaker. She hadn't been very open and honest about who she was yet and her experiences. But during this process, she's opened up so much. She's changed so much. I don't want to, you know, speak for her or tell her story or anything, but she's she's more on the documentary lens of that now because it is her, it is based on her story. So, you know, we together we have Black Girl Training and it makes sense because Black Girl Training really could, couldn't be without both of us. You know, she brings the transracial adoptee experience. I bring the Black experience and together we created our baby, right? But the transracial adoptee experience is hers. And so she's doing so much more work in that realm now. She's so much more vocal about her story now. She has learned so much during this process about herself and the tr- the ugly truths of where she comes from, being in this rural racist town and, and the things that she was taught to learn about Black people and the biases and and then even transitioning to the Black space and feeling like I have to try to fit in and now realizing, no, I don't. I can be who I want to be. So she her journey is amazing on its own. And she's definitely taking the Black Girl Training brand, I guess you can say, and like, you know, really making more of that. Um, So I'm really happy for her and proud of her. So I think there might be a documentary, you know, in the future from her uh, with that perspective for sure. Yeah. Oh, no, that's so cool. What what do you find yourself? I mean, the lens is often focused on other people. What are you what what are you learning about yourself as you're in the filmmaking process? That's a good question. Um, I will say through, okay, so I learned something different from each project. And I mean, yeah, that's a good question and great reflection. (laughs) So through, uh, when Claude got shot, I learned how to, um, be a filmmaker. I learned how to, how to tap back and forth from being a filmmaker to a human. I just had an epiphany a few days ago while me and Claude were doing like a, um, a panel together. And I was like, Oh my God, I really like, I just had this epiphany that, you know, I really came into the film being like, Oh my God, it's my first film. I was so starry eyed. I was just all about, 
I'm a filmmaker now. I'm making films. And I wasn't really taking the time to connect with the story as much and with the humans behind the film and really realizing, no, this is a real story. Like, yeah, we're shooting it, but like, this is a real story. Like, remember that. And so I kept going through that throughout the film until eventually I got it. Um, And so now I understand that made me a better filmmaker because now I understand I've always been an empathetic person. Don't get me wrong. It's just that I think I was for those the first like year of working on when Claude got shot, I was a bit blurred because of my excitement of being a filmmaker. So um, now I think I'm way more like empathetic with my process of being a documentary filmmaker. I'm way more intentional and just like intentionally building the relationships to get the story and intentionally being empathetic and um, connecting during the process. Um, so that that's how I changed with that one. And then also um, with Black Girl Training, oh my God, I learned so much. During, just like Emily learned a lot during that process with us developing that project over the course of a few years and her really telling me about her life and me telling her about my life. I really learned how to like lower a lot of my standards. Like even when mm-hmm. I said meeting Emily, I was like, she is not my cup of tea um, because I just grew up in a very Black environment and everyone was like, we all kind of fit in this box of what black women are. And this is just what I was used to. So anyone who was outside of that, it was like, I mean, she's cool, but I'm not really trying to hang out with her. Like, and so black girl trainer really taught me about how to think outside the box, give other folks chances, be able to share my story and hear other people's stories, be willing to accept the differences in all of us. And, you know, a lot of different things like this. I grew a lot with black girl training. Um, And then I have another project called the last week which is um, about Black male incarceration through the lens of a woman. And that's also a scripted project. Um, and that one I am directing, producing, and I wrote. It's the oh. first project I've done without a creative partner or an ex- or like a, a direct executive producer. So that one is like heavily self-motivated. Like I have to be the one to move the pieces or the pieces will not move. Um, I don't have anyone I have to report to or like meet with and be like, let's get it done. So that project is teaching me a lot about um, discipline. I'm still, I still haven't mastered it. Uh That's why it's taking so long, but it's really teaching me a lot about discipline, creativity, and just, um, I do have a directing mentor for that one. And she's really been instrumental in helping me learn how to direct. Um, And so that one is really helping mold me more as a filmmaker and helping me look at films in a more, um, because I didn't go to film school. So she's really teaching me a lot of stuff about like, how to look at this as an art and not just as a story. Um, and so, yeah, I'm learning a lot from all of my different projects. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate your your reflection on that. And you said, so what did you go to college for? I mean, I went to, I did get a degree in media studies and film studies, but I went, so me and Emily kind of switched spots at one point. When she came to Milwaukee for college, I went 20 minutes from where she grew up to a rural area in Wisconsin. And that was a culture shock for me, just like she was experiencing a big culture shock because of, oh my God, all these like black people. And she didn't even go to, it's not like an HBCU. She still went to a PWI, but being in Milwaukee, tons more black people than where she was from. (laughs) So she was experiencing that culture shock and not fitting in. And I was at a PWI where it was like a handful of black people. And I was not used to that. Like I was not, I thought black people was the majority the way I grew up. Like I wasn't even, I didn't even know we was the minority in the world. (laughs) So I went to a college that was like rural, horrible, racist, white people. And like, it was just like horrible. And they didn't have a film study at that school. So for the longest, I was switching and flopping 
majors until eventually by the time I graduated, they did have a media studies and a film studies major and minor, but I still wasn't learning film. I was learning how to study films with my minor and media. I was more so learning like broadcasting, like telethons and TV and, you know, news and stuff like that. So I like they were getting there, but not quite. So by the time I graduated, I still hadn't had really any skills to be able to like effectively make a film like I wanted to make a film. So, yeah. I said, no, so it's not like you definitely had to had to be comfortable with uncertainty as you navigated through your collegiate experience, you know, having a culture shock, being in a more rural area. And then now, you know, as a, as a a creative and filmmaker and mom also, and, and wife, how are you, how are you navigating these different spaces and kind of keeping yourself centered? That's, oh my God, you were bringing up so much for me today. I love interviews because they just like teach me so much about myself in the moment. And I've had so many epiphanies just talking to you. So you said that I I had to kind of learn how to be, um, you basically said I had to learn how to be adaptable. But actually you saying that just reminded me, that's not true. Back when I was in college, navigating those majors, back when I was um, navigating (laughs) being the only black person there, all of that, or one of the only black person, people there, I was so unadaptable that I I was like stubborn. I was like, I am not changing. I am not accepting this. I hate this. I'm just going to sit here and soak and just like count down the days to graduation. Like I almost dropped out because of how horrible um, I felt being at that college, but I didn't, I stuck it out. um, And I wish I would have taken it as a learning experience. I wish I would have just taking it at taking it as like okay here's your chance to learn how to adapt but I didn't I didn't really learn adaptability until I started working on when claw got shot um that was another thing I learned about myself um for the longest I did not easily adapt and I will credit I think I'll have to credit Brad for that I gotta credit my husband I gotta just credit life for like t- like no you need to learn how to adapt and as a filmmaker especially because so many things could go wrong and you have to adapt Um, so this, that is a lesson I am just now learning, um, in the last few years is like how to adapt. And I've gotten so much better at that. So to answer your question, um, you asked, what do I do to decompress? Yeah. Decompress to really ground yourself. Cause you talked about with this, you have your, you know, black girl training and you're still doing the circuit for when Claude got shot. And then you're also working on your solo project that you're writing, directing. Um, you know, how are you staying grounded as you're as you're going through all these different veins of of life? Yeah, I stay grounded because a few years ago, I really had to learn self care, really in a roughest way possible. So I've been mm-hmm. with my husband since we were 15. It's a very long time. We've been together. What was that like 16 years now, almost? Um, and when we got married, we were, uh, 24 and 25. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And I was really, I thought I was so ready because we had been together so long and I was ready because of that fact. Like it was no nerves on that end, but I didn't know that that was just such a pivotal age to grow into womanhood. Um, so after getting married, it took a toll on me because I was like, oh my God, I'm really like growing and trying to learn myself while also trying to 
be a wife and be a mother and do everything for everybody. And it just took a huge toll on me. Luckily, my husband was so supportive and so understanding with that process. And he really allowed me the space to just like learn myself and learn how to say no and learn how to be like, y'all cook tonight, y'all clean tonight. I'm not doing it. Y'all get out of my house. I need some alone time. I'm leaving, whatever the case may be. He really just allowed me the space to like figure out what grounding myself meant and decompression meant. Um, and so because he did that now, I am such a better woman for that. And I do understand myself a lot more and I'll keep, I'll continue to go through changes like that as we all will, um, trying to find myself. But now at this stage, I know who I am. I know what I want. I know that I don't have the best time management skills. I know that I don't do well with a ton of pressure or a ton of, um, projects like I don't do well when things are just super busy for me like I always I kind of I'm a hyper focused person so if things are really busy I might just focus only on work then I'm slacking in my marriage or I might focus only on my marriage and I'm slacking on my mothering skills or whatever so for me being grounded it looks like understanding that I cannot take on too much and sometimes that makes me feel so inadequate because I, I feel like other people are able to take on so much more than I am. Like I see other people like Brad, for instance, he can like, <laughs> I don't know, he gets good sleep at night now, but like he could take a 10 minute nap on the couch in the office and then just go, 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 go. And he's working on five, six, seven projects right there. Then he's going to go play tennis in the morning. Then he's going to go to a son's basketball game. Then he's going to go cook dinner. And it just seems like, wow, you got so much accomplished in this one day. But for me, that would just simply tire me out. Like I cannot do that much stuff in one day. I cannot do that many projects at one time. And so really being honest about myself with myself about what I can handle at once, um, taking a lot of time for myself because I am an introvert in the sense that when it comes to like recharging, I have to do that alone. I can't do that around other people. So knowing that like I got to go be by myself. Like I'm going to go lock myself in my room. I'm going to read. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do yoga. I'm going to sleep. Whatever it is that I need to do for me, like I have to have that time. Um, I've gotten a lot better at, like I said, just telling my family no, um, telling career stuff no, you know, telling myself I'm going to wait till tomorrow to complete something. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff there, but I think the the biggest thing is in grounding myself is just really being aware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds and you sound super aware because, you know, so many times I often say, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And a lot of times we see people doing this, that and the third and wondering, why can't I do that? And really, maybe they maybe they have other factors in their life that allows them to do that. Or maybe, you know, maybe they have their downtime. Maybe they get energized by doing all the things, they, you know, we yeah. always have our own. We have our own capacity. And so I'm, it's great that you're finding ways to, to honor that in yourself. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's so. hard. It's so hard, especially like comparing yourself to other people, especially in that sense of like feeling like, why can other people do that? And I often worry about what happens when my career picks up and I'm for real shooting 12 hours a day. Like, damn, is my marriage just going to go down the drain? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen when like this year, I just got a new opportunity, a new job opportunity, I guess. <laughs> That's a good, that's an upside. I, I often forget about that, but I did just get a new job opportunity. That's like, like contractor wise. And it's throughout the whole year. Um, and it allows me to have a budget for some videos that I'm doing for a huge organization, which I'm really happy about. Um, and it, it at first it was going to look like tons of traveling for that. 
Um, but now I found a way to kind of cut down the travel. And I was really excited because I love to travel and stuff. But traveling wears me out. Like, I hate the traveling aspect of traveling. Like, the driving, taking shuttles, taking planes, taking trains, taking cars. Like, I hate that part of it. I just want to teleport to the place I need to be and do what I need to do. Uh-huh. Um, and so I really had to realize, while this sounds exciting, I'm, and my husband is so good for this. He always pulls me back. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is great. But... How much traveling are you going to be doing in a month? What's that going to look like for me and our child? What is that going to look like for child care? What is that going to look like for your mental health and your ability to keep your energy up and and just like a lot? And so, um, yeah, it, it definitely makes you feel inadequate when you look at other people's lives and you're like, how are all these people married and thriving and successful, but doing, you know, 12 hour shoots five days a week and traveling around and and I just think that God will show me where I'm supposed to be and when and how, and he will, he will make it to where I can make it work. So yes, I got to stop comparing myself to other people's journeys for sure. Yeah. Cause you know, we all have different seasons, you know, yeah. I, I think, I think of people who, um, who can't even imagine, you know, an opportunity or they're, they're still trying to trying to figure out what they're going to write about. Right. And mm-hmm. so but I, I'm, it's great to hear that, that you're aware of your, of your energy capacity. You have a support system as well, because everyone, you know, doesn't, doesn't have that. And so um, you mentioned like, you like to do yoga, of course, rest, travel. Um, would you say like, does writing calm you down? Or do you see that more as like, oh, that's my, that's my work. I write for work. So I don't do that in my spare time. How do you, um, how do you find yourself in the most relaxed space? Writing is mostly work for me. Yes. It used to be, oh, wow. That's another epiphany. It definitely used to be the joyous thing. It used to be, I used to write for fun, but I mean, that's when I was a kid. So I guess that's, you know, it's a little different. Like I was writing books and poetry and stories and it just for fun. Um, but now writing is usually work for me. So I don't do that for fun as as much anymore. Um, I will say, I also just kind of discovered the other day that when I'm driving, I am a night owl, like a thousand percent. And, um, I can literally stay up all night. I, I, there's something very calming about the night, very quiet, very peaceful. And I, and I think that was a thing that I learned after motherhood as well. Like I used to stay up so late at night and I didn't understand why, but then I started seeing different things. Like number one, Uh, The nighttime is very peaceful, as is the very, very early morning, but I'm not a morning person. Um, Secondly, as moms and wives, like the nighttime is when you get the most peace and quiet and like time to yourself. Uh, And that's very true for me. And then I recently discovered the nighttime is when I'm kind of most creative. Like I, I actually do better working in the evenings, which doesn't work well for like my colleagues and stuff. So like I can't I can't be working on a project with them and be like, hey, guys, it's 7 p.m. I'm finally tuning in and like <laughs> so I have to find a balance for sure. But um, late at night sometime like the other day I drove like last week, I drove to take my cousin to the airport and it was like four in the morning. And I was like, this is so amazing. I love it. I don't know why. I just loved it. And I had so many creative ideas as I was driving to her. So I like voice memo them while I was driving. So not necessarily writing, but I get very creative to the point where it feels like it's not work, but it's, I don't know. You know, it's like the in-between work, but like yeah. meditative state. 
Yeah, no, it sounds like the ideation and meditative state is is almost relaxing for you. And it happens yeah. to happen at night. And I can relate to that because I'm a total night owl. My parents are night owls. Like I could probably call them at 3 a.m. and they're up, even though I'm like, y'all, you're older now. Please go to bed. <laughs> but like my 92 year old dad will be emailing me like at 2 a.m. I'm just like, why are you up? I love that. I I can't wait to be retired and just like literally flip my life upside. I'm gonna be sleep all day and be up all night. That's gonna be amazing. I I can't wait to do that. Oh yeah. Or if you were, or if you um work with partners on the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Those are all good ideas for sure. Yeah. But I I think it writing is um in between thing for me now. But I think the most the thing that calms me the most is probably reading, actually. Um, reading and like, I do really enjoy yoga and meditation, but I don't do it as often as I should. So I think reading is is really, and music are the kind of most grounding therapeutic things for me. Um, yeah, when I, I'm saying you have to the shit part, because it's like when you get to it, you know. Yeah. I, well, what is the latest, um, what's the latest book that you've read that you really enjoyed? <laughs> so funny enough I actually read urban fiction books that's that's kind of my jelly and jam I um I do read self-help books and like really nice good books that I can recommend to people I'm always a little embarrassed when I tell people I read urban fiction that's like my guilty pleasure if you will uh and I can basically depending on how long they are I can read like one in a day two in a day you know depending on how much time I have so um I read those for the most part but I will say um, hmm. I have a few books that I really, I really enjoy like audiobooks too. I'm really starting to get into the audiobook and podcasting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the last great book I would recommend that's not urban fiction, um, will probably be, I really enjoy 50 Cent's book. I don't, I can't think of the name of what, yeah, I really enjoy listening to like successful celebrities tell their stories and like give gems of success. Um, I really like that. And then I have a lot of like different books that are like for women or for, you know, finances and stuff like that, that I'm reading, but I find those hard to actually get through because they feel more like work. So mm-hmm. if I'm reading stuff, yeah, yeah. So if I'm reading like Charlemagne's book, I really enjoy um, 50 cents book. I really enjoy. So those are like the type that I would probably recommend. I also listen to a lot of audio books on marriage. So like, um, David and Tamala Mann, they had a book that, the, that I listened to the audio book for that. Um, someone else I can't think of, uh, DeVal and Kadeen from dead ass podcast. They have a yeah. book coming out. I, I have to get that. So yeah, those are more so the books that I like read and recommend to folks. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Well, I'll, I'll link those in the show notes. Cause I know 50 cents. Um, that's the 50th law and I don't, and I don't, is that, is that the name of his book? 50th law. He might have know. more than one. I'll look it up, but yeah, that might be it. Fiftieth, yeah, 50th law of power. Yeah, I was just Googling because I remember he came out with the book, but I didn't recall the name. Yeah. 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 Okay. It was really good. Oh, cool. Well, let me. Hustle. Let me... I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's called Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. That's the one I read. 
Hustle harder, hustle smarter. Okay, well, yeah. I will make sure to link that in the show notes. Although he is a trip, he goes in. He is, and a lot of times, like I, I, I just want to hate him. But honestly, his book was filled with so many gems, and I mean, that's I guess just just who he is at the end of the day. And so, whether I like him personally or not, I learned a lot from the book, so yeah. I still recommend it. Yeah, for sure. What What did they say? Chew the meat that spit out the bone. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a question that I like to ask all of my guests um, uh, based on this quote by Jim Boleyn. And the quote is, um, when you discover something that nourishes your soul and brings you joy, care enough about yourself to make room for it in your life. So let me ask you, what nourishes your soul so much that you absolutely create space for it? That is a beautiful quote. Um, and I keep muting myself because my husband is moving around getting ready for work. Sorry. Um, what? I mean, I want to say reading because that is like the essential thing to me. That is like my biggest piece of self-care that like I'm if, if nothing else, I'm going to do it. If I got to do it on the toilet, if I got to do it in the airport, if I got to do it, it's standing in line at the bank. I'm going to read. OK. Um, And it really helps take my mind. It really just like helps take me to another place. It really is like the escapism of it all. Um, I want to say that, but then that doesn't feel like great enough. Like that doesn't feel. (laughs) Well, I I mean, if if it really is nourishing to you and you just feel so relaxed and calm, like I think a lot of people feel the same way about reading and how you said it transports you, yeah. you know, and, and what you're, why are you thinking like you should be saying something like, oh, I love no, to no. meditate or I love Yeah, to do- like I feel like, especially because of the type of books I just said I read, it's a guilty pleasure. So it's kind of like when you tell people what you're reading, you're almost like, uh, this is what I'm reading. So it gives, it It just really gives like, that's not helping your brain. That's not doing anything really for you. So you, you know, so it kind of feels like that's not the thing I should really be saying nourishes me. The other thing I'll say, so that's my, that's my guilty pleasure slash nourishment slash I got to make time for that because it's a part of my self-care thing. But the other thing that has a little more substance, it, I would say is like spending time with my husband because a lot of times, you know, like I said, sometimes I could be very one track minded. And um, sometimes I have to like really tell myself like, no, this is something that really pours into you in so many ways. This is something you love in so many ways. And being an introvert, a lot of times I do get caught up in just being by myself. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes as much as I love him and want to be around him, sometimes I let my introvertedness get in the way and be like, I'm just going to lay here. And then sometimes I really have to like push myself. So like, no, go in the living room, go spend time with him. Go, if he's in a room, go in the room, spend time with him, go suggest that y'all do something together. So I think that's something that um, I have to really work at having and, and, and being intentional about, you know what I mean? So that, I think that's, that's one of those things. That's something that is a little, it's like way more rewarding, but also way more way more intentional and like harder in a way like it's so much you got to work harder to get that greater reward I think the the reading is like the easy reward easy work kind of thing I hope that makes sense no it definitely no that definitely makes sense because taking time for intentional quality time whether it's with a spouse or friends or family you haven't seen in a while like that does take extra effort especially if 
you know, once you're done working, you just kind of want to sit and, and think or just sit and just enjoy, enjoy being, you know? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm very much that person. Like after, ugh. I hate to say it, but I mean, like we talked about already after work, I'm exhausted. Oh, I want to be alone or oh, I want to like <laughs> decompress by myself after dealing with my son. I'm like, oh, I want to decompress by myself after which is whatever. Like, so uh-huh. it, it's, it's definitely something that I got to be intentional about when it comes to like bringing others who make me feel good and make me like happy. Like, and I don't know what it is like lately this season, I would say I've really been into myself a lot. Like I've really mm-hmm. been shut the world. If I say I'm going to go to an event, it sounds cool the first three days, but then it gets closer. And I'm like, do I really want to go? Do I need to go? Do I Mm -hmm. have to go? And it takes a lot for me to finally be like, all right, I'm getting dressed and I'm going. And so that's kind of how it is with everything right now in my life. Like I have to really make that intentional effort to say, this is fun. This is great. I love this. And I just need to be more intentional about like, making that happen so yeah and that's real I mean the internal dialogue that you have I think a lot of people are having that same sort of conversation with themselves especially you know after being you know in the pandemic and having a lot of you know for introverts it wasn't that big a deal (laughs) as far as having that that you know me time alone time but for a lot of folks it really caused them to reevaluate how they're spending their time how they want to show up is this you know, is this the in-person in-person version of this could have been an email, you know, or am I really going to feel great after having this, in- this in-person interaction or going to this in-person event? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I, listen, I love your, your, your outtake about everything. Like you just, everything you say fits perfectly into like what I'm thinking and saying, and just like really makes sense of everything I'm thinking. So yes. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I'm- I love that you you have a great way of like saying what I'm trying to say in the the best way and like the most buttoned up way like yep that's what I was saying or like yep that's how I feel and I didn't even realize I felt that way until you said it so thank you yes that's so true and I've also learned this season that I am more um I went to a strategic thinking workshop and I am trying to get better about not saying I'm an introvert because he was like that's when you put yourself in a box da, 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 da. but I mean just just for simplicity, you know, I'm an introvert personally. That's how I recharge. But professionally, I'm an extrovert. You know, I have to I have to network. I like to network. I have to be out and about. I got to go to events. I got to talk to people. Um, and I also realize that like, all right, I'm an introvert personally. I'm mm-hmm. an extrovert professionally. And I think the pandemic, you saying that kind of triggered like during the pandemic, I didn't have much of an issue because I did. I was like, oh, cool. We in the house, whatever. You know, that's cool with me. Right. But professionally, it really messed me up because Mm -hmm. I get a lot of my um, inspiration from talking to other people because at heart, I'm a storyteller. So Mm -hmm. regardless of what content I'm making, regardless of what film I'm making, I'm a storyteller at the end of the day. And I get stories by talking to people and getting their stories and just learning about them. Like every person I meet in life becomes a character in my head. And Mm -hmm. I figure out a way to like use some traits that I've learned from them or seeing the see in them or whatever to like create characters. And so during the pandemic, I was mostly working on um, uh, black girl training and it was really hard to write because I wasn't talking to a lot of people. I was only talking to the people I know and can talk to on the phone 
but I wasn't really able to go people watch. That's a huge inspiration point for me is people watching. Um, I wasn't able to just be out at Starbucks and hear a side conversation and get some inspiration from that. Like I wasn't able to do that. And that was really hard for me. And me and Emily kind of fell apart at that point because um, she was able to just go home and pump it out. I think, I don't know how she gets her creativity, but she was able to just go home and, and write, 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 write. And I was really having a tough time with that at the time. And at the time it wasn't beneficial for our writing career together that like, I'm not able to contribute as much creatively. Um, so yeah, it got crazy, but I think that um, that is still something I'm navigating through as well is learning when to be extroverted, learning when to be introverted and just really putting in the energy and the intention behind both and like making sure I'm, I'm balanced in that way, like professionally mm-hmm. and personally. Oh, you know, I, I completely relate to, you know, needing, you know, it helps to have the external factors to, to really, you know, how you navigate the world and especially your creative process that that completely makes sense to me so much. Completely makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say that as a as an extroverted, introverted person, ambervert. That's what I call myself too. I call myself an ambervert. What is ambervert? Ambervert is when you're. It's kind of. It's when you're both. It's when there's situations when you definitely need to recharge from a lot of stimulation. But when you're on, you are on. Like most people would not realize because I am a very outward facing person, they would not realize that after I've been at a conference speaking or, you know, talking or networking events, after that, I'm like, no one talked to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I used to head this training organization and, at, and so six months of the training, you know, I was on because I was leading it on, on, on being there for everyone. I would always make it from January to July when the national conference would come because I'd be super involved in that. My board knew, do not call Joy, do not text her <laughs> for like two weeks. Let me decompress. Like, I'm back. You yeah, know? yeah. I never, I, I I might be that as well, but I, I'm going to stick to, I always say I'm an extroverted introvert because like mm-hmm. you said, outwardly, if I'm out at an event, oh, I can work it. I'm I'm an extrovert. I know how to, you know, navigate that. But inside, I'm like, when is it time to go home? Can I go home? Is it time yet? I'm just like counting down the moments. Uh, and then when I'm home, I'm just at my freaking happiest. And like I told my husband, we could be on date night. And this is what I mean about being intentional. We could be on date night and we'll be in like, he'll be like, all right, um, you want to go home or you want to go somewhere else? And I'll be like, do not ask me that because you know the answer is going to go is going to be go home. And that doesn't mean I don't want to spend time with you. We could go home and watch a movie. But sure. like, but I do have to, I always got to be intentional about, I know he likes to go out. He's an extrovert. I know he likes to be out. I know he likes to like, you know, when we go out, he wants to be out. And so a lot of times I'm like, I'm gonna let you decide. Cause I know you really want this and I really want this for you. And I really want to do this for you. But if you ask me, it's always going to be go home. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's also where the intentions come in, you know, so. So yeah. he's the extroverted partner, is that right? Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's an extrovert. Uh, well, they say uh, you know sometimes the opposites, but that you know you you complement one in, one another. Yeah, yeah, and he's really good at like the balancing act. He's really good at being able to have a ton of stuff on his plate and like whoop whoop whoop. Now I'm going here here here, and I'm just like I'm tired for you just listening to that. <laughs> and <laughs> he's really about like when he gets stressed, he wants to go out with his friends and stuff like that. And I'm like whoo more power to you, but I just want to stay home. So 
Yeah, we're opposites in, in that way, I think. But it, it's good because we do kind of like balance each other. Like he forces me to have more fun and like be more adventurous. And I try, I force him to like chill and stuff. So yeah, it's a good, it's, it's, it's really complimentary. It sounds like so that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. well, you, also, you mentioned before we go, you mentioned that you have uh, a podcast. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that before we go today. Um, so my podcast is called listen. Um, it is, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's kind of funny because I, I don't feel like it's a guilty pleasure, but talking to you and being on this beautiful, amazing podcast where it's so like mental health and women and just like very beautiful in my podcast. Now that I think about it has a little like ratchetness to it. And I, I just kind of thought about that. <laughs> but listen, it's a ratchet podcast. I mean, listen I yeah. I mean I I, think, I, listen, I listen you do <laughs> listen it is have you ever heard of Sophista Ratchet like it's a lot of people who yeah. I mean it's, people can we can we can be more than one that's true okay that's true I just started to kind of feel a bit more like oh my goodness I am really showing who I am on this podcast well that's listen listen that, that's what it's that's what it's about and also with self-care it's like whatever is feeding your soul something yeah yeah whatever you're listening to like a friend of mine and I'll use as an example because I hope this making you feel better uh a friend and I we started a podcast in the pandemic all about uh 90 day fiance married at first yeah 90 because that's just we were talking every week about it you know now mind you it's more like a just something we're doing just practicing skills but you know I have my profession. She has her profession, like in a very scholarly, like policy. And so, you know, we were both like, oh, we're going to put this out. Maybe, maybe not. But we we had fun talking about it. So anyway, what's your, what's your podcast about? Did y'all put it out or no? No. no. Oh, okay. Um, you're right. You're you're right. I got to <laughs> I got to embrace all sides of me. It's just it's I, everything I do. I always kind of put into the category of like personal or professional. And this, for some reason, felt professional, even though it's not professional, it's personal. Maybe because I met you in a more professional setting. Maybe. So, it, yeah. So it kind of felt like, oh, I have to show up as professional Santana. Personal Santana is a lot different from pro- professional Santana. Yes. Personal Santana is very bougetto. Like I am very ghetto in a lot of ways, I'm ratchet in a lot of ways, but I'm also very bougie yeah. in a lot of ways because I can afford to be bougie now. Um, but professional Santana is just that professional. So in my personal life, I'm watching reality TV and I'm reading, you know, urban fiction books and I'm talking and I'm cussing every few sentences just because that's how I, I was raised in an environment where like we love a good cuss. So we are all cussing and we all just talking and that's just how I talk. So I try to be mindful of all of that when I'm doing like professional stuff. So here I probably haven't said one cuss word because I was like, I'm professional Santana. So my podcast is a thousand percent just personal Santana, right? It's like a thousand percent. If you don't want this smoke, don't listen. That's kind of where it's at. Like that's it's like my professional people, y'all just stay over there. I'll talk to y'all, you know, <laughs> at a different time. But my podcast um, it's called listen. And it's based on, um, how black people, when they're telling stories, they're like, listen, really more like that. It it has that feel of like, you just talking to your girlfriends, telling them a story or just like really getting into the juice of things. Mm -hmm. So it's not a specific, um, 
like how some podcasts are based on marriage or mental health yeah. or, you know, foods that you should eat or whatever. Like this is just a all in one, whatever I feel like talking about podcasts. I talk a lot. I have a lot of opinions. I'm a storyteller. I'm very observant. I learn a lot. Um, and so this podcast is just kind of my place to dump everything. Um, mm. I only have about six or seven episodes so far and I need to be way more diligent like you are about like actually recording my podcast is oh I need to be way more diligent about actually sitting down and like making I have seven episodes like making my podcast but so far most of them are about like um like ghetto stuff I see online that I want to talk about like just random <laughs> stuff I see like random celebrity stuff I want to talk about random like controversial I really love talking about controversial topics and giving my thoughts on it um, I did uh, some episodes about closure and forgiveness because I had a very big um, years and years and years long kind of uh, issue with my siblings. Mm -hmm. And so I finally got to a place of like closure and forgiveness. And I did two episodes on like what that looked like. Um, and then I did another episode on just like the the last year I had in 2022 and how amazing it was and just mapping out what that looks like. So now I got to get back on it, but I'm having fun with it. And it really is just that one place that I can be creative without the professionalism and I can just talk and just be myself and like, mm -hmm. yeah, so it, it's fun. I love it. Great. I mean, any space you can show fully is an awesome place to be. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> listen, and where can folks uh, listen to it? Uh, you can listen to it on uh, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Anchor. Um, I want to say those are the main places there. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, I will be sure to link it in the uh, in the show notes. And listen, we can be multidimensional. I mean, that is a thing. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay, been so nice talking with you today. Thank you for making time in your busy you. schedule. Um, and so I look forward to chatting with you again sometime. Thank you, Summer. This was beautiful. I appreciate you wanting to have me. And this was easily one of the best interviews I've had. So thank you. Oh, well, good. <laughs> Thanks again for joining Joyfully Black this week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star review and share with a friend. Have an aha moment from today's episode? Let us know by texting 850-404-2712. That's 850-404-2712. You can even leave a voice note. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button at Spotify or Apple so you never miss an episode. Remember, being in the black is more than a financial state. It's a journey toward your wellness. Until next time, stay in the black, y'all.